Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Yeah. The charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. That sounded important. Didn't it? Yes. Yeah. I'm Mike Sweeney. I'm a writer on The Conan Show. I'm Jesse Gaskell. I am also a writer on The Conan Show. And we like to talk about other things about The Conan Show <laughs> together. Yeah, that's right. And we always have exciting guests. And this week's no exception. Uh, so what's been going on, though, first with you, Jesse? What have you been up to? Well, I am very excited. Later today, I'm going to go see the stink flower. What? At the Huntington Gardens. They have a blooming stink flower? Yeah, yeah. Or sorry, it's called a corpse flower, I think, technically. Or corpse flower, right. But they have a blooming corpse flower. It is in bloom for one day only, and that is today. Oh my God, that's a lot of pressure. As soon as I saw the email, I was like, well, I have to go. I'm I'm literally dropping everything to go and see it and smell it. But under COVID, I'm assuming the line to get in to see it that's going to be, you should leave right now. Well, no, they regulate how many people come in. You have to wear a mask. Right. But I'm kind of hoping that maybe once I get right up to the front of the line, I can lower the mask just a hair to get a, a whiff of that sweet corpse. I don't think you're going to have to lower the mask to get a <laughs> yeah, load maybe of the corpse. I, I mean, the name is literally based on the fact it's supposed to smell like a, an actual dead body. Yeah. Have you, you've never smelled one before? A dead body or a corpse flower? <laughs> Either one. Uh, no, I have not. There's one in the New York, when I lived in New York forever and ever, at the Botanical Gardens there. And, you know, I refuse to live my life around a flower. But you do what you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I've ne- I never have gotten the opportunity before. But now that we work from home, it's like yeah. all the stars are aligning. It's perfect. For me to go smell the corpse flower. I'm curious to hear how many people show up for the corpse flower. I'm curious too. I know it could be it could be a total zoo. It could be like Coachella. But yeah, I'll report back. Good. Uh, we have a great show today. We do. Oh, we have a a live guest. What a segue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no corpses here. No. Uh, very, very funny comedian, actor, and super talented. It's a pleasure to have him on the show today. Chris Fleming. I think he rose to fame with a web series called Gale. Yes. He plays sort of a Karen character before there were Karens. Right. And we talk about that. I it, That was kind of like he started making those and got instant attention, you know, from Hollywood and, you know, got an agent and a manager and all that stuff. 
Yeah. And since then, he's made a ton of funny music videos. And he's also been in a series for Team Coco. Right. Meet the Conan staff. Yeah. Which is an online series. And he's really funny. He's in uh, one of those episodes. He's great. He plays a Conan staff member, even though he's not actually on the Conan staff. It's a little bit confusing. Well. For me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So here's Chris Fleming. Tell us where you are right now, Chris. I'm in my pagoda. I'm in my pagoda right now. Uh, is this where you record music? Ooh, um, I record a lot of uh, the scratch tracks uh, uh, back here. And I and I do have like, um, I film over there a bit. But a lot of the music, have you, I, I, I didn't know that you were aware of my music career. Very deep dive. I'm flabbergasted. <laughs> I'm flattered and I'm I'm blushing. Um, I do record some of that, most of that in Massachusetts. My brother-in-law is in a uh, a folk band, and so I kind of just use his his gorgeous mic to do oh, that. Oh, that's great! Yeah. To legitimize my terrible pipes. Well, you have music in a lot of your comedy videos. I do, I do, yeah. And then, do you also have aspirations like as, as a serious musician, or? Oh no, no, no. Okay, okay. Oh no, I don't. Um, that's a good sign. <laughs> for no, for a comedian. Yeah. Because some comics, I think, secretly want to be rock stars. Oh, certainly, certainly. And they become so big, they start singing at the end of the show, like, uh, you know, if you'll indulge me. No, don't do it. Are you talking about Conan specifically? No, I'm not <laughs> talking about Conan. He's self-aware about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wears the cowboy boots yeah. around the house and everything. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, I, I don't know. I think um, who knows where I'll be uh, in my head uh, in like five to ten years, but I hope that I don't... I, I mean, I want to. I want to make comedy music that sounds good, though. You know, like I. I yeah. Do. Right. That's like real a real bop. Yeah. Yeah, I try to make earworms and stuff. Um, right. With kind of like an '80s desperate synthscape that I like to listen to. Uh-huh. But I. But I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be. I think that if I do try to genuinely pursue a music career, it means that I've seen something or experienced something that, that there's no coming crisis. back from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to say the videos I've been watching, I've been dazzled mm. by how well directed and edited oh, and shot yeah. they are. It, oh, well, we aim I'm, to dazzle. Like beautiful you, music videos. Yeah. Thank you. Serious, seriously. And I love the one I don't, I'm afraid to talk to men is. Thank oh, you. Thank yeah. you. Fantastic. Too. See, that was. Oh my God, um, it made me laugh out loud. That was the first music video that I, uh, first like song that I recorded on my own without my um, musician. Oh. I have a bunch of musician friends. And so I just kind uh, of slaved away on logic uh, myself and like just kind of smashing my forehead against the keyboard trying to make. Um, <laughs> I was listening. There was this um, 80s band. I think they're called the Hooters. And they had a song called We Danced All Night. And I was just trying to rip that song off. Oh, yeah. For that. Cool. Yeah. I, I appreciate that a lot. You released a video in like May. Mm-hmm. the the boba uh manifesto yeah 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 and i was wondering if that had been if that was something that like came out of quarantine creative storm or if that had been in the works for a long time you know i haven't actually started writing anything during quarantine because i feel like this is like making something during a time like this is how like the pt crews are got invented you know like i don't think anything good <laughs> can come from this period. So that was something that I had prior and we were kind of, that was like part of the touring show that I was doing. And so that was like the opening number. And so I just kind of cannibalized that entire show and just uh, made it into videos. Um, oh yeah. You used every part of the Buffalo. <laughs> that's 
right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what we did. We tore the, the buffalo to pieces. Well, Chris, okay, I, I want to go back to why you're here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to contextualize you a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. Uh, because I first learned about your comedy from Conan O'Brien, who's a fan of yours. And I think he learned about you from his kids. Mm-hmm. Because I don't believe that he would have found you on his own. You're popular. <laughs> People find me when they're ready. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> I'm in no rush <laughs> to get into the zeitgeist. If you don't know me yet, that's fine. You will when you need to. <laughs> but you've been doing YouTube videos for a, like the last decade. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into comedy and what how you sort of made that first? Because you, did you start with uh, your YouTube series, Gale? Was that kind of your first... That was the first successful, relatively successful thing that I did. I had been doing stand-up since um, high school, and I started that in Boston at this um, quirky little club called the Comedy Studio. And I um, started that character, Gail, there. And then I moved to, I got kind of seduced into moving to L.A. by this manager, who then, as soon as I got to L.A., she became a chef, uh, right right as soon as I got here. (laughs) And, yeah. Every manager wants to do something else. That's always true. Yeah, yeah. It's a messed up profession. To, to yeah, it doesn't. It's, that still rubs me the wrong way. Uh, the whole the concept of it. Uh, it's a weird bedfellow to have. It's very yeah. I don't. I don't really believe in it. Anyway, so so then I I came out here. I was kind of drowning in the in the stand up scene. It, I was getting nowhere, and then I was like, okay, I should just um, turn uh, this character that I knew worked in clubs uh, that I really liked, uh, Gail, into um, a web series because that seems to be like what a couple people had been doing, and so that kind of amassed like a little bit of a following. And then um, was Gail based on somebody in your life? I mean, because. Yeah, yeah. Are you from a small town in Massachusetts? Yeah, I'm from a small town in uh, central Massachusetts. And uh, she's kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different people in my town, one of whom actually... uh, one of the women went to jail for embezzling money from the Boy Scouts, and uh, oh my God. and then she um, she and then there, there was a pie chart that was released of what she would spend the money, the embezzled money on, and it it was like oh my God, thirty percent of it was for edible arrangements, and so I was I was like okay, I gotta so physically um I would make my mouth really small because her mouth was really small, and so that was um she was the physical inspiration for Gail, but a lot of people were and, and a lot of a lot of women in my town are really pissed at me like there's a woman named gail who she's not based on who's like thinks that i based it on her and i'm like like no no i i think you're lovely I, wait so did that anger spill over to like your your fat parents like did they get any blowback from their friends <laughs> yeah they get egged every day yeah. the house just gets covered <laughs> we in can't eggs. leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no um no my town it's very repressed uh, uh you ever see the witch that movie the witch yes movie? yeah that's that's kind of what the the vibe Ooh, is very, wow. very i mean that's that's just that's massachusetts I've Very never 1630s. seen. Yes, it's the best representation of living in Massachusetts. I tried to <laughs> g- catch it in Gale, but the witch really got in like the 2000s. That's what it's like. So, so no, no, my parents they don't they don't say it, but you hear it, you know. So then, oh God, so I, yeah, so I put that online, hoping that the industry would like notice me and then like offer me things, but that never happened. So I just well, like, that's not how it works. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I didn't I didn't know that, and and so um, you have to do it over again on TikTok. <laughs> then, <laughs> right. then they'll come. <laughs> right, right. 
So then I just uh, kind of got like a following through that and then toured doing stand-up. After we toured like shows at Gale and then I, I it kind of burnt me and my loved ones and uh, friends and family to the ground because it was just all of us working on it so hard all the time and like it was too much. So then I stopped that right as it became kind of popular, which sucked. Um, and then no, I... No, that's perfect. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. I guess, but you I did guess, 40, right. <laughs> 40 episodes of Gale. Yeah, that's a lot. That's an incredible amount of work. Oh, it was, it was, it was a lot. I got very physically injured a lot uh doing it it was it was it really took a toll on um, on everyone's life everyone that was involved in it yeah did you find yourself becoming gale was it like <laughs> you had well, exercise bulimia it was i was yeah i had to be i had to be like very fit for it because yeah. uh, because yeah. every monologue is, is her power walking in the middle of the street and often like in the snow and stuff and so i was very i had to be in very good shape and then i slowly when I turned 30, I just kind of stopped. Like I got like, it was the first time I was like, okay, I can like be still, you know, like I don't crave, I like, I didn't have that kind of kinetic energy anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like 30 washes over you and it's like, oh, you can exhale or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I know. Well, you're a great physical comic. You are. Oh, thank you. Oh thank my you. God. You have a great physicality. It's I think I'm just long, and I think that um, I think that. <laughs> well, you're just, long too. That help. That doesn't hurt. I think I must have seen you guys because I would occasionally go to um, Conan backstage to uh, when Gary Goldman would perform, and and I would go and I though I would wear some really really outrageous kind of slutty outfits, and and, <laughs> and I think people would think that I was that Gary had hired like a cheap escort. I think <laughs> is kind of. That's what I thought. I, I got really into like uh, the way British comedians were dressing in like like oh eight oh nine and stuff, and they were a lot more kind of androgynous. And I didn't think that anyone was doing that in America, so it just seemed like kind of an easy way to to stand out. And it also made me feel really powerful to dress more femininely, especially in meetings when talking to men. Like it would it it, it would. I felt like it was a way to have power. Oh, interesting. I've been kind of arriving at that well, by talking to a therapist about that a little bit too, about why I suddenly started dressing. So, um, well, just cause it, and not, I mean, the sort of nonconformist thing that we were talking about, like it does kind of give you, okay, I'm not going to play your game. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm playing my own game. Well, right. And, and also I think I have a huge fear of being compared to other people because that then allows room to be like, oh, I'm less than that person, you know? So like if I would wear just like a plaid shirt on stage, it could be like, oh, he's not as funny as John Mulaney, you know? And that's like, <laughs> I think, I just like not being able to be compared to anybody, you know, and just being like. I feel like plaid shirt on a comedian has to come with a beard. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I cannot grow. But also I started wearing women's clothes because they just also fit. I have a, I have a rather thin build. And so they would just yeah. fit me better. Uh, and they and, breathe better. And they, yeah, yeah. They do. It, They're just better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I, um, there's this amazing Dutch lady that I met online who uh, now just makes clothes for me for, um, Oh yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So you have like a kind of a personal stylist. Uh, yeah, she, I'll just like give her like her, it's, it's, uh, her company's called Feast Studios and she does, a lot, does like a lot of faux fur stuff. And um, I like also looking like I feel different than other people, you know, uh, like tactile wise. Um, oh, yeah. So you don't like have to go to thrift stores to sort of source your own stuff. I, I don't. Did you ever do that? I, I, have, a, I have a severe cat allergy, so I, ha I can't go to thrift stores. 
Oh my God. It's just like, yeah. I, I feel the presence of 10,000 cats every time I walk through the, I'm like a, I'm like a medium when I walk into the thrift stores. Well, consider yourself lucky then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we go any further, I yeah. also want to say I'm starstruck because I, I recognize you guys from the Conan uh, documentary that I, that I, that I love. <laughs> Jesse, you also. Well, no, I'm not. I, I wasn't here then. You weren't for, there then. The, okay. She didn't no, work, for, she didn't work I didn't work the there yet. Yeah. But Mike, you, you absolutely were uh, yeah, on I've the been patio. Around. You were on the I, patio. The patio. Yes. The famous patio scene. <laughs> the famous patio scene. <laughs> I love that movie because my two sons have a cameo in it. I was told not to watch that before I got, when I got the job at Conan. Oh, that's People hilarious. said, don't watch who, the documentary. Yeah, who told you that? I don't know. Friends were like, you don't, you don't want to know. It's better if you don't. Wow. <laughs> Did you watch it? I haven't watched it still. Oh, it's really good. It's it's it's. Yeah, yeah. I saw it when it I saw it when it came out, and uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen it since. It's one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's something that you rewatch, um, but it's. <laughs> 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 but it really does give you a sense of like, oh wow, that this does take a lot to <laughs> to be to be Conan. This is this is that endurance is really something. Yes. Yeah. No, he's when he's focused on something. Like just because the show has its own life and it's five, you know, it's four days a week or five days a week. And so that was kind of, okay, there's a ton of work to do. But then when he'd do an outside or a one-off project, I always felt like that's when I really saw how focused he could become on something that was important to him. And it, I'd always be like, oh, wow, I thought I yeah. could work hard, but he's on a right. crazy level of, of focus. It's very impressive. And, and that 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 live tour was an example of him oh just God. going, okay, we're doing this, and that's all he thought about and all he worked on. And he's the same way, you know, if he's doing a commencement speech or a, he just gets so focused on it, it's it's very impressive. I can't imagine having that energy. Like every year that goes by, I'm just kind of. I get closer and closer to just wanting to less motivated. Yeah. <laughs> right. like, like I get opportunities now where I'm like, oh, if I had this five years ago, I would have been like, oh yes. But now I'm like, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> yeah. But that's such, so nice to get to that point where you realize you're allowed to say no to things. <laughs> yes. That's, that's very true. powerful. Can I ask you another, another question about Gail? Cause oh, certainly, certainly. You were living in, in LA. Yeah. I was living in Boyle Heights at that point in my life. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I love Boyle Heights. Yeah. It's a cool neighborhood. Yeah. But you went, it looks like you went back to Massachusetts to, to shoot them. Yeah, that was part of the problem was that people would get really livid if they would see like a palm tree in the back. Oh. And so we would have to fly like a couple times a month to go back and shoot in Massachusetts. It was it was a lot of it was a lot of money. Yeah. Did you have to pull permits and stuff to shoot there? Or they're like, no one ever wants to shoot here. Oh, we, we certainly <laughs> should have. I've never done anything legit in my life, like um, in terms of permits or anything we were getting like kicked off uh we would just go and then be asked to leave until someone tells you yeah 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 which was also very much a young man's game like i I don't really want to cause that kind of a ruckus anymore (laughs) like i don't i don't want i don't want those confrontations with mall security you know i think what i'm hearing you say is you don't want to work you're just like i'm done working <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. I'm that's, just gonna wear beautiful well, Dutch clothes. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Sorry, no, no. I, I think it's just. I think. I think no. I'm in a, in a particular. Um, I talk like this a lot right before I do something um, very, very 
labor intensive. I, I, okay. I, I, I always go in and, in and out of these things. And I fantasize <laughs> about going to Missoula, Montana and completely oh, yeah. just changing my life and working at like a tropical fish store. Oh, or something. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I never get there. Yeah. I, I worked at this camp um, once and the, and the man, there was this guy who looked like Teddy Roosevelt who like ran it. And he told me, he, we didn't have any kind of relationship or anything really. I was kind of shy. And then at the end I was leaving and he was like, Chris, I want to, I want to tell you something before you go. And he rolled out a map and he said, if things ever go bad for you in your life, go here. And he pointed to Missoula, Montana on a map. What? And I, wow. And I, 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 in my head. You I'm, think he buried treasure there for you? I don't, I don't <laughs> know. Maybe just like a, a townhouse that's in my name or something. I don't know. I don't know what's in Missoula for me. Wait, but I, where, where was this camp? Where were you? Connecticut. And physically in Connecticut. In his office. And he picked Missoula, Montana for Missoula. you. And he rolled out a map and he pointed. Yeah. <laughs> if things go bad, Go here. <laughs> and so that's in my head. He has a bunker full of guns there. <laughs> so you got to go. He did seem like vaguely libertarian in hindsight. Physically, yeah. physically, he read as libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation and you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm really flattered that you guys like my wardrobe. I really appreciate that. Oh, God. I really um, love it. Jesse mentioned your wardrobe. <laughs> okay. No, I, I love your... I don't notice wardrobe. I don't... Mm -hmm. I mean, I noticed you're wearing a wife beater t-shirt. Yes, I think that's... Your Ralph Cramden look is amazing. <laughs> this is a camisole I got in Montreal uh, oh, last oh. year before the Just for Laughs Festival. Oh. I call them cams. For sure. Camps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I realized I didn't have an undershirt for a very low cut blouse that I was going to be wearing. So I uh, <laughs> so I invested in this. Yeah. Yeah. 
So doing um, Gail, was that the first time you'd sort of dabbled in wearing women's clothing? You know, yeah, it was like I just did that to uh, service the character. And then everyone, I think that did kind of help with the um, androgynous story behind me, I think, because that was the only output that I had uh, was me playing a 53-year-old woman. <laughs> and I would just wear my mom's clothes for that. And um, yeah. Was cup size hard to choose? Or? Well, yeah, no, that's a good question because I I never wanted it to be like, oh, the, the dressing and drag is the joke. So right. I, I wore a very, very, it was like maybe an A cup bra. Like I, I think I would wear like a very, just, just a very small bra and not even necessarily stuff it. I think maybe right. occasionally I would put like a sock or two in there, but not, not an ample bosom. No. Right. No, and I like I like that it's not the joke isn't that it's a man wearing a dress. It's right. Like, you become that character. It's oh, very yes. fluid. Yes. Yeah. And you don't. It's not. You don't need to do a, like a woman's voice. I love that you don't. It's a deeper voice than mine, actually. Yeah. yeah. Her, oh, her voice yeah. is much deeper than mine. It's perfect. And I think now those could serve as training videos for Karens. <laughs> That's I got, true. I've been getting a lot of comments about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That it was kind of a. Yeah, Gail uh, was the first Karen. A prophetic <laughs> Karen prediction. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think your comedy sensibilities come from? Because you, I mean, you're very absurdist, and I think you have a lot of similarities to Conan, and that's probably why he gravitated toward you, but. Um, what, who were some of your comedy heroes growing up? I mean, I loved Conan. Uh, you don't have to say that. Yeah, you don't. No, but, <laughs> no, no, but especially, I talked to him about this, about the, the Walker Texas Ranger lever was pretty big for me, uh, that he used to do. Um, the, uh, I, I got really into, I mean, I was, I was, Robin Williams was my favorite. I got into Mork and Mindy because my dad, uh, I loved it. And, and you liked the clothes. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I did. And I just, I just loved like the concept, even as like a kindergartner. So I just got obsessed with him. And then I didn't even want to do stand up, but my mom was like, again, high school I was like not doing so well in school and I was like I wanted to be an actor and my mom was like you want to be like Robin Williams right and I was like yeah and she's like how do you think he did what he did and I was like he just became an actor she's like no he did stand-up you got to do stand-up I was like I don't want to do stand-up and she's like you're gonna do stand-up there's an open mic nearby and she took me to the, the, the she was your momager yeah 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 so she she like made me do stand-up at like 16 I'm really grateful for that but I love that your mother steered you into no <laughs> no no you're not going into acting you're going into something much more right. fruitful. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very odd when I think of that. I read, did you take the bus down to New York to do stand-up? Yeah, yeah. I used to do um, to do this this tragic bringer show um, when I was like 17 or 18 at the old improv. I would take the bus it's like five hours from Boston to do like two uh, two minutes of stage time at the improv and I would then take it back home uh, so I could work at the health club as a secretary. Uh, what do you call it? Not a secretary, but I was like front desk. The receptionist. And I had to be back by like 5 a.m. It was a yeah, dark, dark <gasps> days. Really oh my dark. God. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For like two to three minutes of stage time. No wonder you're exhausted. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. Residual exhaustion. You were shot by 23. So you'd literally do the set and then get on a, like a late night bus back to Massachusetts. And I remember being wet all the time. I remember like, <laughs> I just remember like... <laughs> 
<laughs> you're being like soaking wet on the bus. So that was like when I was like 18, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was the idea like you just felt like, yeah, because Bo Boston has a really big stand-up scene. Oh, yeah. But did you feel like, oh, I've, I've got to do it in New York City? Like you weren't a part of the Boston scene. I've never been a part of anything, you know. Right. I mean, Boston embraced me uh, eventually in a really big way. But I, at that point, I did not, I felt like it was more like I needed to... Um, get signed or something and and right. i did actually somehow through one of the springer shows i got like the uh, an agent who then who was great actually and then got me on that uh there was an old thing called the hbo aspen comedy festival oh yeah 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 and so like he got me on that but then i was like so not prepared for that i did not do well and then i just went back to college uh like nothing ever happened oh wow oh. so you were in co this is such a great story you were in college yeah, yeah. You, in one of these trips down to New York, you yeah. got an agent and then the agent got you the Aspen Comedy Festival. Yeah, well, like a, an assistant to this agent, who's also, his name is Conan also, uh, the agent. Oh, um, oh I he, know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, your contact list is just all Conan's in your phone. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, and then like he had, I had to do like five or six auditions and right. I, and, and then I, I, I did, I kept taking the bus back to do these sets and everything. Like, it was crazy. Your mother wouldn't buy you an Amtrak ticket? <laughs> no. Serious. No, no. It was, uh. Uh, no, it was just the bolt bus. Yeah. But then you were discouraged by how things went at the Aspen Comedy Fest. And so oh, you it, decided it, it, to... It, I was, uh, oh, I was, it, I was like a sophomore in college and I think I oh, knew, wow. I, you know, I got heckled uh, actually at the <gasps> festival by oh. like a, by a very wealthy uh, Aspen uh, resident. And, oh my God. and, um, cause, cause it's just these, these like incredibly wealthy people that come to see these shows. Right. Yeah. And, and lots of furs. Lots of furs. Yeah. Lots of poachers. Yeah. Oh, so I, I like kind of didn't do great at that festival and I felt like really, um, not strong enough as a performer, like, cause I had only been like I'd only had like good crowds or something and I had not been doing it long enough and so and you were like 20 yeah, yeah. yeah I was I was, <laughs> I was 20 and then yeah so then I just like did stand up like all the time and um after that and just worked which there's no there's no subs I think early on part of your brain is almost like well you know I'm not I'm not going to be better a year from now and it's like actually if you do it ever you know constantly yeah. for a year your league's better and it, but it's such a gradual improvement process you don't even realize yeah how much you're like, developing learning how to like bomb on your terms and everything right, right. is kind yeah. of important like so you yeah. still like there's nothing worse than feeling like you were kind of pandering uh, and you still didn't do well you know right um mm. so, so there's, there's like a it's like a lengthy process that i wouldn't recommend anyone go through <laughs> no. <laughs> no but you're right it's really painful i mean that the first sort of getting over the the bombs Embracing the bombs. <laughs> yeah. And just like a crowd just not understanding you at all. And then you don't understand yourself while you're saying those things. And like you, you kind of lose all sense of self. And it's like, oh, God, what am I doing? Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> I did an outdoor show at Just for Laughs a couple years ago. And within, it was for all these Quebecois families who were non-English speakers. Uh -huh. And and before I went on, the host was like, hey, Chris, you're going to have a great time. But just so you know, you're not going to hear any laughs because the trees suck up all the laughs. <laughs> and he was right. There's like a certain way that time can go by where if you're not getting laughs, you can do like every joke you've ever written <laughs> in, like a, in like a really short period of time. And so I just had to take my glasses off and just kind of disassociate and, and, <laughs> and go somewhere else. Yeah. Just, yeah, pretend you were in a 
inside of a volcano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I once had to do a show at a college, and it's supposed mm-hmm. to, it has to be an hour mm-hmm. long. And it was like a crowd of eight people. It was death. <laughs> and I was rattling through <laughs> material. And at one point, there's this bit I do where, like, I pull my arm in front of me, and that's when I check my watch to see how much time has gone by. Yeah. And I was like, please be 50 minutes, please be 50 minutes. Yep, yep. And I bring the arm down and it's like, I'd been up there like 19 minutes. <laughs> I so know that. I was so, just like, oh my God, what am I going to do for 40 <laughs> There was one, um, one show I did at Bowling Green State University. And it, I, I was booked to perform at, like it was a 48 hour all night walkathon where people had to, they kept the students up, like kind of like Guantanamo style. Like they were completely just sleep deprived and they were wandering around this gym, the perimeter. Somehow for charity. Like for some charity. What does it do? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. How does that fuel a charity? I don't, I don't understand. And then, so I had to perform at like um, 11 o'clock and they were like, uh, or midnight or something. And they were just like, kids were just like throwing basketballs like at like the hoop or just like just like they were just like completely not there and i had to perform on a stage where people would just walk by like during like like halfway through something you know and they just keep walking and eventually it got to a point where i like i started making fun of the mascot there was like an eagle and then there was an eagle Uh that was like that was in a dress an identical eagle in a dress and so Uh i was i started like talking about the eagle's wife and they were like, and the, the only the only response I got all night was them saying, "That's not his wife. That's his sister." Boo! And they all started. The whole gym turned. Like, How could you not up. know that? And then the eagle. Right, right. How could I not know the lore of the eagle? And then somehow the eagle appeared on stage next to me. Uh, the male eagle, the, the <laughs> eagle, and he was. And then holding, you woke up. Yeah, and he was holding a whiteboard that just said "boo" on it. Oh no! No, are he you was serious? Le- dead serious. Oh, he was leading the crowd oh, in a boo, God. and then <gasps> somehow non-verbally he challenged me to a dance-off. And the crowd—it wasn't like a fun, like kind of like wedding dance-off. It was like a you better to like. This is for your life. Yeah, yeah. it's like West Side Story dance-off, and so like. <laughs> I'm like unironically giving it my all. And then the eagle somehow knocked my glasses off. And so I was on all fours and the crowd was just cheering for the eagle. They hated me. They loved their eagle. And I'm trying to find my glasses on the ground. And then I looked at my clock and it, it was, I had done like 58 minutes. So I just sprinted off stage. Oh um, my God. Wow. But yeah, that was, that was, that was when I stopped doing stand up for a while. Bowling yeah, Green yeah. State. Yeah. 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 That was like 2011. We always like to ask our guests for a piece of advice that you might offer to someone listening who is aspiring to do what you do. Oh, wow. I'm certainly not equipped to give any kind of advice whatsoever. <laughs> but I think if I had That's to, not true. I, would, I would just say, try to learn like what your own sense of comedic integrity is, I guess, and just uh, know what makes you laugh and what stuff that you would want to see and make that. And I mean, don't be like psychotic, but don't care too much about the success that it brings you. Uh, but I mean, if it's like not working, learn from that, but also, uh, do what is right for you, I guess. <laughs> well, I think you said something earlier that, that touched on that, where you said, if you're going to bomb, you want it to be on your own terms. Like you want to know that, that you gave it, that you put out what felt good to you and, and felt indicative of your 
your comedy and not like, oh, I was trying to fit into this box and then I still bombed, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just well, assume you're going to bomb no matter what. So you might as well do it doing something you love. And that goes for self-deprecation too. Like if you're going to self-deprecate, like make sure that you do it, like be, still be kind of good to yourself or do it in a way that you don't afterwards feel like, oh, I really threw myself to the hounds for no reason. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, have some respect. Have some I feel <laughs> bad all the way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank, thank well, you, Well, thank guys. you so much, Chris, and we can't wait to see what else you do. Thanks, Chris. This is a pleasure. Yeah, this has been lovely. This has been so lovely. Yeah, I, I hope I see you guys again soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye, you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. That was Chris Fleming. Yes, our close personal friend, Chris Fleming. Yes, very tight now. You should follow him on Twitter because he's also very funny there. He is at Chris Fleming on Twitter. And right now, we've been asking fans to write in with questions or to leave a voicemail question. I think we have one that we haven't heard yet. Ooh. Let's cue it up. Hey, this is Freaky Bunkman. I've always wondered about the backdrops behind Conan. Could you tell me who made them? what that process is like, and which one's your favorite. I like the mid-90s super art deco ones, but tell me more. Thank you. Love you guys' podcast. Wow. Ah, that was the mellowest person I've ever heard. We got a call from a jazz DJ. (laughs) Hey, man. He loves the backgrounds. Yeah. We've never gotten a question about the backgrounds. No. Christopher Gumas, he's our set designer. Yeah. I don't know if that's his formal title, but he's in charge of all the look of the show, including um, the set you see, Conan, you know, doing the mono and interviewing on. And and he also is in charge of all, like when we do pre-tapes of little comedy bits, a lot of times something will be written at 11 a.m. We give it to them and they'll have a complete living room set or a kitchen set or a doctor's operating room by 1 p.m. Yeah, we'll be like, this has to be look like it's a senator's office and they can throw that together. Right, and it's for tonight's show. And so it's very exciting. You have actual people with talent. Like if you're ever there when they're building it, it's jaw-dropping how quickly they just descend and assemble this little world. And then the second, when you're like, okay, we're done taping, Two minutes later, it's it's just gone. It's just dust. Yeah. Yeah. They take it apart and all the parts go back in storage. It's it's incredible. I know. It's so cool. You mentioned uh, the sets from the, the mid-90s. Yeah, there were a lot of really cool backgrounds for the show. There's a, a, a Art Deco one. I think that was in the late 90s, maybe. <laughs> That's all I've got to say about it. <laughs> well, and I, I'm curious about the cityscapes that are often behind, because a lot of late night hosts do that. But yes, we've usually had a cityscape behind Conan. And then right. in recent years on the Conan show, that became the Warner Brothers lot. There was like a miniature. That was a great one. That was really cool. There was some sort of generic... It was like, this is the coast, but I couldn't tell exactly if it was a real place or not. Like a lagoon? It did look lagoon-like. It looked like we were off the Isle of Capri or something. Yeah, with a giant moon. There's always been a, a giant moon. But I think that's the reason for that, the always having the window, is you want to create this sense of depth behind on the set. And that's why all talk shows always have that fake window look going. Yeah, and also they usually don't film at night. Right. We film at four in the afternoon, but then it looks like nighttime because that's when people watch the show. Right. So it doesn't feel 
incongruous. Although I remember in the 70s, The Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, for a long time had, I think it was like an outdoor back. It was almost like kind of that that wallpaper you'd see of, of just an outdoor forest. It was kind of like that. Except <laughs> it was on a pond with plants and... That's never been, no one's ever replicated that. That's really funny. (laughs) That came and went. But yeah, it is. There's a lot of TV magic that goes on. You can make it look like you are pretty much anywhere in the world. Yep. You know, I remember right at, this is, 9-11 always comes up on our show. (laughs) In August of 2001, we debuted a new background set for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Oh, with the Twin Towers in it? Yeah, it was looking downtown. Oh my God. It was looking downtown. It was the view from the top of Rockefeller Center where we did the show. And so way in the background, but in, in a way, the focal point were the Twin Towers. And um, <laughs> everyone's like, ood and odd over this new background. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. And the set, yeah, how dare you? And then, um, you know, a month later, it all had to be revised. Yeah, that was the real tragedy. Someone had to redo the background. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I'm looking at our producer's face. I know, I know. And she wonders how to cut this. Well, yeah, they're going to cut it. No, I love this. Come on. I don't know. Anyway, thank you for that call. And if you ever want to just call and chat, that I mean, what a soothing voice. I feel so relaxed. Yes, thank you for calling. Did we get his name? Oh, he said Freaky Bunk Bed. Interesting. Is- <laughs> oh, Freaky Bunk Bed. <laughs> Freaky, if you want to call back, if you have any carpeting questions about the carpeting we've used over the years, please call back. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Bed. If anyone else has questions for us, you too can leave us a voicemail at 323-209-5303. Or email us at insideconanpod at gmail.com. And that's our show. Thank you. Uh, We'll be back next week. We like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Jen Samples. Engineered and mixed by Will Becton. Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayart. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.